It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. And this episode is for all you parents in that back to school transition. While you're thinking about sports tryouts and carpools, school supplies, and fall wardrobe shopping, I've got kids and cannabis on the brain. I'm thinking about peer pressure and tween and teen experimentation. I'm thinking about Jewel Pod e-cigarettes and the black market vape pens, but I'm sure that's on your mind too, along with one million other things. That's why I'm doing you a solid by having today's guest on the podcast. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just Hi, Bill Marie. Thank you so much for being in the studio with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. I'm excited to introduce Bill Marie Fraguada Narlock to you. She is a psychologist based in Chicago and is the drug education manager at Students for Sensible Drug Policy. She also runs the SSDP Just Say No, and that's K N O W, Peer Education Program. Um, I'm grateful to have her inside today to empower us to talk to teens in a meaningful way about drugs in this contemporary culture. So students for sensible drug policy, um, tell me a little bit what it's all about and and how you um, started adding your expertise. Yeah, so students for sensible drug policy or SSDP is an amazing, incredible global uh, nonprofit organization. It's all grassroots built up of uh, young people, a lot of students um, around the world who essentially want to end the war on drugs. And I've been involved 
um, since 2009 uh, when I was a graduate student at Roosevelt University in Chicago uh, studying psychology. I was working for um, Kathy Kane Willis at the Illinois Consortium on Drug Policy. So I was doing a little bit of drug policy research for the first time and she happened to be the advisor of the SSCP chapter at Roosevelt, and and that's sort of how I got initially uh, connected to uh, that uh, organization. And I ran the chapter there as I was going through school, and kind of <laughs> the rest is history. I uh, ran the chapter, and then I was elected to the board of directors, and now I'm on staff uh, doing this program. While I was studying at Roosevelt, I did my dissertation on drug education, and so that has sort of woven into the work that I do with SSDP. So what was one of the most shocking things that you learned when you were working on, on that? Well, I think that the thing that really sort of opened my eyes to um, the, the injustice of the war on drugs was actually um, as a student when I was doing um, my like practicum work. So I was working uh, in a hospital setting mm-hmm. um, in the, the psychiatric uh, unit at a hospital in Wisconsin. And um, one of the things that really stood out to me was a, a patient who, you know, had an alcohol use disorder um, and very desperately wanted to uh, go into treatment. She also had pretty severe mental health issues. You know, no resources really, didn't have right. insurance. and No money, but total willingness. Absolutely. She wanted to get better. Absolutely. And so at the time they had, you know, some county funds and things that um, could help fund treatment for this person. So we went through that process to uh, get approved for that. And she was approved for four days of inpatient treatment, which in no capacity is that ever <laughs> enough mm-hmm. for for someone uh, who, one, wanted it and, and had, you know, the severe needs that she had. And that was sort of the, the first time I really came in, in, you know, face-to-face contact with, like, the ways that it was impacting my my work and my ability to, to do good work as a, as a therapist and as a, a treatment provider. And so then um, in coming to, to Roosevelt, um, I learned a lot through um, doing the, the drug policy research. There was so much that I didn't realize. And, and, you know, through SSDP, just like was opened to this whole world of just disaster, yeah. <laughs> essentially, and, and a lot of connections being made that I didn't realize of, of you know, the, the racial, you know, forces, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the war on drugs and, and how that sort of trickles down and, um, and really how it impacts society as a whole. So, True. you know, it's kind of, it kind of took me seeing that, um, in a way that it impacted me, um, mm-hmm. to be able to really open my eyes to see how it's actually impacting everything else. Right. And that's the way it goes. I mean, we all live in our own little bubbles mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, our bubbles burst and yeah. we see everything else around us and we're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, I had mm-hmm. no idea. And then you have to face it and, okay, what am I going to do? What is my responsibility in this? Mm-hmm. So I went to the SSDP website and there's already amazing content and information for anyone yeah, to thanks. just mm-hmm. grab and use. And and so, you know, what elements on campus does SSDP have? Like if mm-hmm. a parent is sending their, their kid off to college for the first time, like how do you, how do you find SSDP and get involved on your campus? Yeah. Um, really it's, it's, uh, it depends. A lot of times 
Um, you can go to our website and see if there's a chapter already on your campus or in your community somewhere. How um, many How many are there? To, uh, about how many schools? There's over 300, um, and I believe we have about 36, give or take, um, international chapters or, or groups as well. So there's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, still growing every day. So, we, you know, we get new inquiries and interests um, all the time, which is which is really great. And and so if you if you don't have a chapter near you, um, it's really easy to go to the website and there's just a quick form that you fill out and that gets um, you connected to sort of your your regional um, we call them uh, movement building fellows, okay. and that person will sort of get you connected and and get you set up and hold your hand and get the process started yourself. Yeah, yeah, right on. Mm-hmm. Well, because you know the thing that when I first was thinking, okay, it's back to school. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about kids and drugs. And for most kids, that would be a completely lame conversation, mm-hmm. and they're not going to listen. Mm-hmm. But the thing that SSDP does that's so amazing is, listen, we're not pulling any punches. We're going to tell you the good stuff, Mm -hmm. the bad stuff, Mm -hmm. how it affects you, how it affects your friends, how it might affect your life. These are the signs to look for. Like, So it really feels like it makes people and kids more educated in if they decide Mm -hmm. to try something. They're seeing the larger picture. Mm-hmm. That would be one of the things, me being a cool aunt with a lot of littles. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you know, listen, I know you're going to experiment with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. but be smart about it. And this organization will empower you with all the information mm-hmm. that you need to make good decisions. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly, you know, what we set out to do is, uh, you know, through, like I said, I, I had done my dissertation on, on drug education and, you know, we had done some focus groups with young people who had gone through the traditional drug education sort of dare type uh, programming. And, and really, I just wanted to know, like, what about that worked? What, you know, what didn't work? And what needs to be different? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one of the major things that came out of that work was seeing that, like, we don't want to be, you know, young people don't want to be talked down to. They want to know the real facts um, so that they can make their own informed decisions. Mm-hmm. And have that sort of autonomy to do that. And so that's, you know, that was one of the, the main things that I wanted to focus on for, for, for this program is to ensure that we put something out there that um, allowed, you know, really anyone, like you said, to be yeah. able to come in and see. And, and, you know, we pulled from so many really amazing resources that have been, you know, putting out this, uh, this education for a while and just sort of uh, condensed it in, in a way that I think is digestible and, and, you know, easy for people to access. You know, and I think the the best part is the simplicity of, you know, when we were in school, I'm 42, mm-hmm. so ours was definitely the dare, just say N O. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that you can just change the the no that we're working with, <laughs> yeah. and that really is the difference. Somebody mm-hmm. telling you no versus somebody telling you, hey, know all the information. Exactly. And kids are so much smarter now. I mean, Mm -hmm. they have access to information Mm -hmm. at a much younger age than Mm -hmm. we ever did. And, you know, I have littles that will come to me and they're in junior high and they're already being pressured to send nude Snapchats. Mm, And when a kid, a boy that they like asks for their phone number instead of their Snapchat, chat handle, (laughs) they think like, oh my God, he's such a great guy. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, there's, they live in a completely different world. And so it's like, okay, 
there's a group out there that mm-hmm. is taking all of the facts and then having other students, mm-hmm. their peers, like format this program. Exactly. I'm like, it's brilliant. Yeah. And that, and that was another, you know, factor that came out of the, the dissertation work is that they, young people want to be involved in, in the development of this kind of stuff. They want to know that their voice is being heard and that it makes sense to, for, for what they need. Uh, and so when we were developing this program, it was, it was, there was no way I was going to do it without the involvement of S- other SST peers and, mm-hmm. and our uh, young people and students. And so, you know, most of what you see there has been contributed by, uh, you know, all, you know, the resources and, and the kind of information that we put on there um, has been, you know, through through their work and, and what they said that they wanted. So I love that. So just so you know, the the <clears throat> Just Say No program um, that Ville Marie put together, which, by the way, how old were you when you first started working on this program? Um, how old was I? Um, I was in grad school, technically, you know, because I, I consider sort of my dissertation as, as part of like the the brainchild of uh-huh. those two. So yeah. 29, okay. 27. Well, and yeah. I still yeah. feel like yeah. you have street cred with college <laughs> kids at that age. So, sure. and, you know, I was, and I was uh, still part of SSDP. So I was a member as a graduate student. Um, so I was very much, you know, involved in, in the organization uh, as a member while, I, you know, while I was doing all of this work, too. So, um, yeah. Well, I love that because, you know, the benefits of this program are the fact that the kids are learning the facts from their peers, right? Mm-hmm. So the kids, they helped put this information together, and then they also teach it to one another. Yep, and that's that's exactly, it's kind of a two-tiered program. So there's a, a training component. So uh, any of our, our members that want to become what we call peer educators will go through the training curriculum, which is actually pretty comprehensive. It is a lot of work for them to go through. Um um, there's about 13 lessons uh, that they complete. It's all online, uh, so they can kind of do it on their own time. Uh, and they answer, you know, sort of response questions for each lesson. Um, once they become certified, then they're able to sort of go out into their community and share the knowledge in the drug education modules that we have a, a number of available online and also, and you know, other are, harm reduction information. And these yeah. are anything from alcohol to nicotine yep. to pharmaceutical drugs to street drugs. Yeah, yeah. So we have yeah, alcohol, uh, caffeine, cannabis, uh, nicotine, um, uh, psilocybin, you know, there's, it's, it goes on and on. So we have a lot of different ones and there's, there's, uh, more being created by students all the time. We just finished, a uh, salvia, uh, module. So. Yeah. I mean, it, they can just come to you and say, okay, like mm-hmm. this is kind of what's going around on campus now. We need to add this to the mix. Ex- exactly. So yep. That everybody gets the ins and outs of the drugs that they may come into contact with on their own campus. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And, th- and there's sometimes that we come across uh, something that s- someone's interested in and it can be difficult to put together a module on because there's not a whole lot of information out there. And a lot of that is due to, of course, prohibition that we yeah. can't do the research and, and can't get the information that we need. So, Well, the other thing that I that I really like about this is when somebody doesn't want to do something and they know in their gut it's really not right for them, mm-hmm. but they don't really have the words to put together an argument as to mm-hmm. why it's not right for them. So I love this program for that reason, too, that yeah. it allows people to feel empowered to speak intelligently about why they do or do not want to participate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, in some ways that kind of, you know, again, it, it gives 
people autonomy and it kind of puts the responsibility back on their hands to, to learn this information and, and determine like, yeah, this, this one's not, not my thing, you know, that's yeah. and because of X, Y, Z reason. So yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that's really exciting about it is that they, you're also teaching them how to spot symptoms of mm-hmm. when somebody's had an overdose. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember my college parties and, and, you know, there's, a ton of drinking and there's, there are drugs and, and you would see some girl in, you know, crumpled in the bathroom somewhere. And, you know, you're trying to help. I mean, that's what girls do. We all try to help, but it's Mm -hmm. like, if you know, you know, you've had a little bit of training and education and you, you know, kind of the system that you need to do kind of like, we all know to stop, drop, and roll if we catch on fire. <laughs> exactly. Like, what do we do when we see somebody that's had an overdose? Yeah. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. panic, like, yeah. what's what's the right thing to do? Exactly, exactly. And and you know, the the reality is, is oftentimes they're doing it among their peers, and and so again, that kind of puts that responsibility back on them and and their friends and each other to mm-hmm. to look out for each other too and know what it might look like if someone's having a either, you know, a challenging experience with a, with a substance or if they're, um, in a point that maybe going into like a medical emergency versus just like someone's had a little too much and sleeping or, you know, whatever, there's, there's differences to look out for. So that was really important for us to, to put out too. So explain the idea of harm reduction, because that's a big part of what you teach in the Just Say No program. Mm -hmm. You know, essentially harm reduction um, as it applies to uh, drug use is, is uh, reducing the harms related to using a substance. And, and that can be harms from the substance itself. That can be harms from um, the way you're using it. Uh, so, for example, um, if you're a, an injection drug user, a person who uses drugs, you know, in, I, with an, a needle, um, what that might look like using, you know, clean syringes and and sterile syringes and <clears throat> excuse me and things like this um to where you're doing it to um if you have uh you know underlying mental health conditions and and how that might um interact with drug use so there's so many different things that we look out for um as well as like societal harms uh, criminalization you know so it kind of like spans a whole um big thing and and providing, you know, as much information as we can to ensure that if someone is going to use something, that they're doing so in a way that's going to minimize those harms. Um, But I also like to, um, you know, for people who've never heard of of harm reduction, I like to sort of take it out of the context of drug use and uh, think about just sort of everyday things that we do that reduce harm. So, for example, uh, seatbelts reduce harm associated with driving or riding in a car. Uh, you know, before we, we had them, there were, you know, more, you know, if we had an accident, so there was more, uh, harm Death and done. destruction. Exactly, yes. exactly. So, and then we got seatbelts. And that has helped reduce the, you know, the, the harm or the dangers of riding in a car. Um, even something like sunscreen, if you know, if you're going to be outside, you put sunscreen on to, uh, protect yourself from UV rays and things like this. So there's a lot of ways that we, already practice harm reduction just on a daily basis. We wear shoes, you know, to help our feet not get all torn up by the the road or whatever. So there's a lot of ways that we do this on the on the day to day. Harm reduction strategies that are just practical for our personal well being, mm-hmm. but then harm reduction also as a social movement. So yes. 
we're teaching people how to take better care of ourselves and our, our peers and the people that we love, but then also how to care for our community and, exactly. and fellow citizens that deserve the same rights and opportunities as we do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. I dig it. <laughs> how can we take these principles of harm reduction as it relates mm-hmm. to parents or responsible adults <clears throat> talking mm-hmm. to teens? Um, because you've had this experience, mm-hmm. are there certain, I don't know, certain st- a style of dialogue or certain mm-hmm. kind of like buzzwords and catchphrases that w- will resonate mm-hmm. with kids and have them actually stop and have the conversation and not roll their eyes and shut the door and lock it? And Yeah, I think the, the really the first step is um, for uh, parents and, and caring adults to really put some work in and educating uh, yourselves too. There's, you know, even if it's going to our website and, and checking out our resources, I think there's a lot of, you know, it is, you know, available for anyone to access because there's, there's just a lot that I think it's important to have the knowledge of going into that kind of conversation. Because you're right. These kids know most of that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've learned more from our students than I could have ever learned in graduate school or anything. So, uh, so yes, that is totally true. And then it's it's all about um, approaching it with compassion and being open. And, you know, I think it's not just one conversation. It's, uh, you know, sort of being open from the start. Uh, I think oftentimes parents are so afraid to even broach the topic uh, because they're they're worried that either, like you said, that their young person is just going to close the door in their face and, and not engage. But I think... There's so many. Or they're afraid of what they might find out. That too, absolutely, yeah. And and I think there's so many opportunities um, that you can kind of like start, you know, broaching the the subject. If you're watching TV with with your child or you know young person, and something comes up that um, is associated, like being able to use that as a as a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. Or if you're, you know, walking around. Uh, the, the city or, or your town and, you know, you uh, even just like going by a bar or something, you know. Just yeah, passing having, by a dispensary or going by a bar yep. and, yeah, mm-hmm. and letting it be natural conversation exactly. versus, okay, sit down. We're yes, gonna, we're going to have the talk. We're going to have the responsible drug education conversation. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think personal anecdotes fit into that? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of parents get nervous to tell their kids what all they did because they don't want it to feel like justification that their kids can. But Mm -hmm. I personally feel like those anecdotes offer almost like a bridge Mm -hmm. to the kids. So in your experience, what do you think the best move is? I think it can be really helpful. I think, you know, it's important obviously to, to, know your your child or or the young person you're you're trying to to get to and and how that might um, impact them but but I think it can be really useful to kind of for one like humanize the and normalize the the situation and and like remind them that like you know you were once a young person also and maybe there's there's some sort of equal footing that you can find or, or some things that you can relate to there while also 
acknowledging that things are different, that there's generational differences. Like you, you mentioned, you know, you know, young people are so different now than, mm-hmm. than we were at their, at their age. And yeah, peer pressure is out of control now. Yeah. Yeah. Then social media certainly doesn't, doesn't help with that. So, so I think it, you know, it's, it's about, uh, being honest and open. And if, uh, people, if they do ask questions to, to be prepared to, um, address them honestly, because uh, they'll see through the bullshit too. So yeah. yes, they um, do. So so yeah, it, and you know, I, I I say this to our students too that you know self disclosure can be super super beneficial and super important um, in our in the work that we do in sort of advancing not you know knowledge about drug use and harm reduction and the war on drugs and and trying to make change. And you know, some people can sort of take advantage of of your self disclosure in ways that that can be problematic. And there's also the issue of privilege and and some people being more at risk when they uh, self-disclose their drug use, for example. So and so I think that can kind of trickle down a little bit to just having a conversation with with your your young person and and carefully, you know, determining what is important for them to know in that context and and again without bullshitting. Um, mm-hmm. while being honest, uh, also being sort of thoughtful about how you share what you're going to share. And I really think having just targeted conversations as they come where, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we're talking about nicotine. I mean, these jewel pods, mm-hmm. you know, there's a pack of cigarettes in one pod. Mm-hmm. And I know young people that have a pod a day habit mm-hmm. and, it's very scary for their parents and, you know, they take them away and then you are visibly watching a child go through withdrawals mm-hmm. as a 13 year old. That's an instance where it's like, okay, we're tackling nicotine right now. Mm-hmm. And when we can get, get this through, then let's talk about this. But yeah. I feel like trying to talk about all of it at once is it's going so to just, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it just waters the message down. Mm-hmm. And so it's really talking about those the ones that are real big in your face, like, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's on the front burner? What's the emergency? Right, right. So do you have any uh, examples of positive impact stories that have happened on campus, mm-hmm. some of your kids that you can share with us? Yeah. So um, one of our one of the, the first uh, of our uh, students to become certified, they had a presentation. It was the, the I think it was our MDMA module that they presented. And it was the first one. So it was kind of exciting um, that, you know, the first one that was officially uh, presented within, you know, our, our program as it exists now. And they basically shared with me, they kind of emailed me um, after, very excited, because um, there was someone who had attended who, if I remember cor- correctly, had been kind of skeptical or wasn't really sure about all of this and and came up to them afterward and sort of shared how how much of an impact that just you know that that one uh, session had that they learned so much that they're now able to go you know share this really important information with their friends and and then there have been others where people have been skeptical of for example harm reduction and this is something that um, our our members face a lot as, as people asking questions about harm reduction and, and kind of thinking that it's it's enabling drug use and uh, which is a very common um, 
misconception. Very, for sure. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, another student was able to um, talk one on one with uh, a person who came to one of their presentations and actually uh, shared some of the resources from, from uh, our training curriculum with that person and was able to have a really open, honest conversation and sort of get them, you know, kind of shift, shift uh, some of the thinking a little mm-hmm. bit um, and understanding of, of harm reduction. So there's been some really, really great things that our students have have been able to do with, ha- you know, having these resources available to them. And I feel like because the same thing will happen to me, I will have get an email or a text message from someone saying, hey, what you talked about, I really needed to hear. Mm-hmm. I was able to share this with my mom mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. I've been able to talk to my wife about this and now we're going to go to the doctor. And so, you know, those sorts of things there, you know, those small wins mm-hmm. are it's the consistency of those little small wins Absolutely. that really build up and and change a culture and mm-hmm. build a movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's in a lot in a couple of cases it's led to uh, people, um, you know, peers asking for more training on how to use naloxone and how to recognize an overdose, so that you know our students have been able to go back and do more of that because people are just really really wanting that and wanting to be able to do something about, you know, obviously the, the overdose crisis that we're in right now and being able to help their their peers in that way. I loved going through and seeing all the different information that you share for each subject matter. So you kind of just like give a broad overview of like, you know, I guess you probably have like the bones of what you share about each mm-hmm. each drug or, or substance. Yeah, yeah. So um, for each drug education module, we go through sort of looking at Prevalence rates of use. So that's one of the first things. And um, so we use, you know, uh, things like the National Survey on Drug Use and Health or the Monitoring the Future Survey, which are very large uh, longitudinal uh, sort of studies that gathers a lot of data on, on drug use trends. And so we use that to, uh, in addition to having Whoever, whatever group is presenting, include information about their own campus. So you have national and localized stats. Yep, yep. Okay. Just to just to kind of provide an overview of like what what does uh, the trend for this particular substance look like around the country, around the world, um, in our community. Yeah, I think and it's th- great to get that snapshot. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we go into uh, like the history, so how you know how it was developed and and uh, you know sort of. What it, how it's come about in in our society and our culture. Um, we go into the legal aspect of the drug, so um, any sort of laws, both historically and currently, that impact or interact with the use of that particular drug, and uh, sometimes what the penalties are. Again, that's another piece where um, the local uh, information can be included. Uh, and then, of course, we go into like what the drug is, what it's made out of, um, what you know, what the different components are, how someone might use it, and how uh, the different methods of uh, routes of administration um, might impact uh, one's experience, what sort of the the positive or, or the beneficial effects, the neutral effects and the potentially like negative effects uh, might be, both kind of short term and long term of the substance. Uh, we go into then harm reduction for that particular substance, and we do this for each one. Uh, again, looking at like the rights of administration, like I mentioned, and um, you know sometimes dosing if if that kind of information is available, and then how to recognize an emergency uh, associated with that drug and kind of what to do. We also kind of uh, because 
I'm kind of a nerd. I, I like the history uh, of the drug, like I mentioned. So any sort of notable figures that might be associated with like the development of the drug or or uh, sort of pop culture sorts mm-hmm. of things, mm-hmm. just because I think that's fun on a contextual sort of societal uh, level. And then we kind of talk about, again, harm reduction in general, what that means. We talk about drug set and setting and how that impacts one's experience. So the drug being, you know, the drug itself, um, anything else you might that you might be combining it with, uh, set being sort of like your own body person, and that includes mindset. So uh, if if you've like had a good meal that day or not, if you're feeling really tired, if you're feeling extra depressed that day, and how all that might impact um, the experience, and then of course the setting. So using something like in your living room is going to be a lot different than using it in a, at a party or a club or at the park. So, mm-hmm. um, and how that all might impact uh, one's experience and, and setting also considering like the legal setting and sort of historical, you know, societal sort of factors too. So there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the general overview. I might be missing a couple of uh, components, but yeah. I, I love it too, because one of the the practical things that I saw on the alcohol module was the picture of the red solo cup. Oh, right. <laughs> and pointing like, if there's booze in this cup, this is what one serving is. Mm-hmm. And if there's beer, this is one serving. And if there's wine, this is one serving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because every college campus and every <laughs> group of kids that are throwing a party, you are drinking out of a red solo cup, no mm-hmm. matter what it is they're pouring in it. So mm-hmm. helping people formulate an idea of what mm-hmm. a serving is of all these different types of alcohol yep. when you're that young. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, our parents aren't teaching us that. I mean, yeah. you know, and so that is part, I think that was part of the harm reduction section exactly. of that module. Yep, yep. And and I will say that the solo company does say that that wasn't in the intention of of the the shape of their cup, but it is very close. Yeah. <laughs> very, you know, it's a fun coincidence, I suppose. Uh, but Yeah. <laughs> Based on what you've learned, what advice would you give parents with teens and tweens who are experiencing peer pressure mm-hmm. of proportions that we didn't see? Yeah, it is tricky. Um, I think, you know, there's there's so much that, again, with, with social media and, and having a computer like in our pocket mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all the time and ha- just having so much access to everyone and everything, it can be really hard to even see all the things that our young people are faced with. And so I think, again, trying to have open lines of communication is really important and, you know, having a, a trusting relationship uh, and that can be hard. You know, family dynamics are messy. Uh, so even if if you're not the person that your child trusts the most, that, you know, if they have a, a an adult or a, a fun aunt or, you know, someone mm-hmm. else that that they have that they can, you know, a sounding board is, is super important, whether it's a teacher, or, you know, counselor or whatever. And I think, you know, just by nature of, of that time of, of development, um, that's kind of part of how we grow and learn about ourselves too. So it's super terrifying, I think, for, for parents to know that that's happening with their, yeah. with their young person. And I think it's a good time to be able to reflect on what things were like for you at that age. Cause even though we don't have, 
uh, we didn't have all, all of the super technology that we have now, um, there was still a lot of peer pressure, right? There was, there was a lot of. Yeah, it was different, I guess. I think, yeah, I think the nature of it was different, but, uh, young people now don't know any difference. Right. So. Yeah. So it's all relative. It's, yeah, kind of. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And like remembering that, you know, what sorts of things helped you get through that period of your life? What kind of helped keep you grounded in the midst of all of the the pressures of, of you know, peers and school and other activities and just life in general and tapping into that a little bit and being able to, to use that because by nature as, as humans, like those are, those things will be constant. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology and things will change, but what it, when it comes to like connecting as human beings, that kind of thing, I think stays pretty, pretty constant. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I'm thinking as you're talking about that, I'm like, okay, when something would happen to me at school, like, would I come home and talk to my parents about it? Would I go in my room? I think I, I think I did a lot of writing, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think anymore parents that can allow their children to make the decision, like have mm-hmm. the conversation. Absolutely. And then give them the space to make the decision because mm-hmm. so many parents end up fixing it right. or or telling them what decision to make or, mm-hmm. or and then they get to college. And they're really shitty at making decisions and standing <laughs> up for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I think uh, definitely, like I said, having that that open line of communication, if possible, is is great because because when they do come to you, it's like oh, <laughs> yes. such a wonderful yeah. moment. But yeah, definitely being able to like provide whatever knowledge or support you're you're able to with the sort of expectation that you're going to let them let that young person like make that choice or, or do what they need to do um, to get through that, you know, situation, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. And, you know, oftentimes, at, at least as was the case with me, if, if something was going on at school, I wasn't necessarily going to my parents first. Um, and I did have a pretty open, you know, trusting relationship mm-hmm. with them. Um, I was I was talking to my friends. Yeah. Right. And that's another reason why the the sort of peer component of our our program is super super important, and, and ensuring that young people can kind of take that responsibility and have the kind of be empowered to to um, educate themselves and and uh, take that on uh, for themselves and their friends is super important. It, has there been something in your program where you do have that peer discussion of how are we dealing with bullying and peer pressure and things like that? Is that is that an open dialogue going on? And have you you know gleaned any tips from from the kids? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's kind of like an ongoing thing. I think you know we're an organization of young people that talk about drugs all the time, <laughs> you know, um, whether it's drug use or, or policy or, or whatever, we're, we're talking about it a lot. And and it's super, what I found is that it is super important to young people to take care of each other. They want to be good friends and be able to support each other. And they're, they're doing things like if they are going to, to use, like, you know, having one, one of the group who isn't going to to user is going to use in a way that they're not going to be, you know, un- unavailable to address anything that that comes up. So they're doing taking a lot of really good measures to take care of each other. And I think that's one of the most important sort of 
pieces of our organization as a whole and also of, of this program. That's something that is is super important for young people too. I mean, there's sort of like, you know, we, we talk about the the benefits of like team sports and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that drug use is a team sport <laughs> necessarily, but but I'm taking that concept of, of, of how, um, you know, being part of a team and looking out for each other um, tends to be really important for development of, of some young people and how they, they interact and socialize. And I think that kind of concept uh, is something that they can sort of also pick up on when they're just hanging out with friends and, and looking out for each other in that way. And they're kind of like group. Absolutely. They're tribe. We, yeah. we do want to take care of our tribe. Exactly. And, you know, the old saying, it takes a village. I right. mean, I, I feel like it takes a village to, for me to adult. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm constantly mm-hmm. calling friends for support or, you know, needing advice or whatever, like, Absolutely. you know, this, this idea that when we become an adult that mm-hmm. that we should be good on our own. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, like that that is something that is a complete farce. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter how old you get, you always need your parents. Yeah. You know, you always need the support of a friend. You always need somebody that's gonna pick up the phone when you call in the middle of the night and say, Hey, I fucked up and I need you to come get me. Mm -hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. if, and if you don't have those sorts of people around you, then you're not hanging out with the right people. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. for me, that's a big deal when I'm talking to my littles. Like, how, how good do you feel about your friends? Mm -hmm. My dad would always say, you're not going to bring them up to your level. They'll bring you down to theirs. And Mm -hmm. so it's that team concept. You're Mm -hmm. only as Mm -hmm. strong as your weakest link. Like we can go crazy on the cliches, but you know, (laughs) the concept is true. Like how confident you are with your community Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of will show you how safe you are to do different things and be vulnerable. Yeah. So is there a modified program for teens and tweens? Like, are y'all working on something with schools? Like, how could, how can we get this information to younger children mm-hmm, faster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we do have some high school chapters. So we have a couple of high school students that have gone through the training to some degree. Um, we also did a uh, sort of tried out a little pilot um, at a school in Denver, Colorado, as a middle school and high school. So we had a couple of interns who helped me kind of adapt um, our train, uh, sorry, our drug education modules um, for that group for that age range, and delivered it throughout the school year last year. Uh, so there's there's definitely like the the option of of okay. kind of adapting. You know, so there is a pilot program. So if people were interested, they mm-hmm, could mm-hmm. would they reach out to you? Would they reach out on the website? Totally, totally. Yeah, they could reach out to me. There's also uh, so the Drug Policy Alliance has and they've had a program called Safety First for a while, and it's actually a really good resource for parents. They have a pamphlet um, called Safety First. It's available in a bunch of languages. That you know, I think it's it's a good kind of start point for for parents who are concerned and, and want to be more open and honest rather than like punishing and, and that kind of taking it that kind of direction. They have also piloted um, a school version of their program in New York. And I think they are um, also going to be 
running it in a few schools here in California this year. There is hope, uh, <laughs> you know, out there for for getting more uh, sort of harm reduction, honest, uh, science based education to young people, and we're we're doing what we can to make sure that that's out there. Uh, you know, our uh, our information is available on our website. It's open for anyone to access. I know DPA has their pamphlet, and then their uh, their curriculum is, um, you know, since it's in pilot phase, it's not accessible. It's something that you'd have to um, get through them. But there's stuff out there. Okay. And but yeah, anyone can definitely reach out to me, and I'm happy to, you know, talk with them and work with them and kind of figure out what might be best for what their needs are. Well, I'll get some of those links from you mm-hmm. and put together in the show notes some, like, Here's your back to school survival kit. Perfect. <laughs> kind Perfect. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Is there anything that the program's about that I totally missed the mark on and that we need to cover? Did we? No, I think, I think that pretty much, uh, covers it. I, you know, our program is really designed to work with young people, meet them where they're at and provide them with the knowledge that they might need to just kind of like, walk through this world of, of prohibition and, and be able to uh, help their friends along the way. And I really think we may have to have another conversation sometime and talk about the criminal and social justice aspects of, Absolutely. of everything that's happening and how the students are getting involved in, in that regard. I would regard. love to, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thanks so much, Joe. It was great. I got the bottle of wine. I hope our chat opened your eyes to how valuable the Students for Sensible Drug Policy program can be for all of us. You know, the SSDP believes that students should be an overall part of any campus and community prevention and intervention strategy. And it's true, they should. The SSDP Peer Education Program, it seeks to empower our students to analyze the relationship between drug policy and drug use by providing evidence-based drug information. After I finished talking to Vilmarie, she shared with me a blog article that she had written that she worked on with some of her students. And I'm going to include it in the show notes, but, you know, there are a couple of very important things that kept standing out. And it's that these kids say, we won't lie to our parents unless they make us feel like we have to. We would much rather be comfortable telling the truth. So when these kids are making the decision to have that educational conversation with their parents versus the other way around, they're going about it the exact same way that you should go about talking to your kids. They are providing their parents with facts. And when they know that there's a chance that it's going to be a heated conversation, they're emailing the information and giving their parents time with it and then getting together and having a a conversation, a mutually respectful conversation. That's the right move either way you slice it, whether you're a parent wanting to talk to your kids or whether you're a kid wanting to talk to your parents. About drug use, we have to make sure that everyone is on the same page from an educational perspective. So I really hope that you will use ssdp.org. There's a lot of information out on the web, but it's not all accurate. It's not all up to date. 
And it is the mission of the SSDP to make sure that they are providing the right information and that it's organized in a great way. And I'm telling you, the sky's the limit. Check it out and let me know. Let me know how it goes. If you're a parent and your teen's going off to college and you want to have this conversation before they leave, maybe they're already there and you're a little bit nervous. Know that open dialogue is what they want and it's what works. Another reason the work SSDP is doing is so powerful is that students turn to their peers first when they encounter an experiment with drug use. And so, like Vilmarie said, SSDP meets students where they are. So I hope you listening in on my chat with Vilmarie taught you something you didn't know and maybe gave you access to some resources to help you empower um, the young people in your life to develop into conscious and empowered citizens and future leaders. Thank you for subscribing. Please share this episode with a concerned parent or adult that has young people in their life that could absolutely use this information. Knowledge is power, people. Like I always say, puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. And don't miss next week's podcast. I recently toured Steep Hill Mendo out in the Yorkville Highlands in Mendocino County. Amazing dudes with a gorgeous farm. It's impressive stuff. So I practiced my hand with my new uh, gimbal. So got some video footage I'll be sharing with you in the show notes and also on our YouTube channel at Casually Baked. Not much going on there right now, unless you're into all of my educational videos that are free, which you should be. So get on over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. The video portion of Casually Baked the Podcast is coming together. Got more videos set up happening in the studio this week. Pretty soon you'll have the option of listening to the podcast or watching it all unfold. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.